listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This, this summer, we've been working through verse by verse through the Beatitudes, and today we are coming to the sixth Beatitude found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And uh, I'd like to start, though, today's message with us reading in Matthew 5, starting at verse 1, so we get sort of a synopsis of what's been going on here as Jesus is on the, the mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, speaking to his disciples as well as the crowd that is with him. And so I'm going to start at verse 1, encourage you to follow along. And it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, in each one of us, there is an innate longing and desire. In each one of us here today, but in everyone in this world, every human being, there is something, a longing for transcendence, for something outside of ourselves. A search and a desire for a divine presence, a power, a peace, a presence that, that is not of our own. And, and Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us of that, that God has placed eternity in our hearts, that there is a God-shaped longing in each one of us. And you see, all religions are, are based on this innate kind of desire to connect with God or with a God, trying to figure out a deity that is outside of ourselves. And one can ignore this longing and oftentimes will and, and won't look to or turn to religion for this to fill this void or this longing in their heart. They won't turn to spiritual experiences or even... Um, or, or even various kind of meditations and different things like that that may go along. Instead, their pursuit is different. They think if they fill their lives, if they fill this emptiness with material gain and pursuits and, and success, that eventually these pursuits will kind of fill that void. And, and sadly, it won't. It won't fill it no matter how we try to satisfy it. Oh, there'll be some good times along the way for sure. But in the end, there is an emptiness. And, and just weekly, we have to just see the, the emptiness in, in, in Hollywood, in, in people who we look up to, whether they be music um, singers or, or actors or, or people who are prominent in sports or different things. They, they have mastered so many of the pursuits and so many of the goals in life, and yet they are not happy and, and they're struggling. There's always a longing and desire for more. We're dissatisfied in these pursuits. And this deeper longing, this longing can only be filled with God. 
And I believe that in this room, in fact, I know in this room that there are so many in, in this room, in, in this church, whose lives are marked with a growing hunger and a growing desire for a pursuit of God and God alone. And that is a wonderful and, and the best pursuit of all. It's why you're here this morning, because you are pursuing God, and, and, and we're all at different stages in that development, different stages in that journey, but there's this desire for God and, 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 and to pursue him, and, and, and God's word is so clear, we, we do that in community, we do that in the body of Christ, that's why we've been given the church, and, and so we encourage, and, and just even this summer, just encourage that there's 15 to 16 men who are studying God's word together through using this book, The Pursuit of God, and, and being challenged early on Thursday mornings or Monday nights, and, and to see um, men just, just being able to learn and study together, and there's always room for more to join us on, on these mornings, or in on, on Monday nights. And, and yet, so oftentimes, any one of us along the journey, if we would be honest, and perhaps if you were to be honest today in your heart of hearts, you would say, I'm distant from God. I know he's there. I, I have a relationship with him. There's, but there's this distance. There's this coldness. There's not the intimacy that I once had or that I hear about the intimacy and the life that others may have. And I want more. I want more of God. I want more of his power and his peace and his presence in my life. I want that void to be filled. He can fill it and he will fill it. You read the biographies of men and women who have had amazing, amazing journeys in intimacy with God. In fact, one of the things I, I strongly encourage you to do is to read the biographies of faithful men and women, whether that be from scripture or also throughout history. We have examples of, of people strong in the faith who have endured much. I believe it was last week I talked about Corey Tenboom and, 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 and her incredible uh, faith journey in the midst of great persecution and the suffering that her and her family went through to be able to help those who were being persecuted in the Second World War. You read other biographies and you're challenged and encouraged, but one of the things, you look at those biographies and you think, oh, it must be amazing, it must have been amazing to be that person. Oh, and, and there's this bit of a longing inside, maybe I could be more like that person. One person I've been impacted with over the years, hearing snippets from here to there, reading a biography years ago and things stick with you on this. And now, with the internet, you can just Google these things and find them out. And, and I love the story of George Mueller, a pastor uh, from Germany who, who spent most of his life in England in the 1800s and who is widely considered one of the greatest men of prayer and faith since the days of the New Testament. I mean, this guy was amazing, his prayer life and, and the things that he accomplished for God. While he pastored a church, he also led four different wide, worldwide reaching ministries. Uh, on top of that, there were five different orphanages that he oversaw, caring in his lifetime for over 10,024 children, uh, orphans in, in this home. Uh, or in these five different homes that he opened. And he did all of this without ever asking for a dime. He took no salary. He prayed and he prayed. 
He would rise early in the morning and spend hours on his knees in communion with God. His journals that people have since his passing have poured through and discovered that as he journaled his life and as he journeyed the things that God had done, that God had answered 50,000 prayers of his specific answers to prayer in his lifetime. Do the math. I, I believe his ministry was 60-some years. That's over 500 answers to prayer a day, uh, prayer uh, in a year. That's daily. His, his prayers are being answered. And 30,000 of those prayers, as people have documented and gone through, 30,000 of those prayers were answered on the very same day. And you think, what faith? What a man of prayer? What a man of action? I remember hearing this story as a young boy, how one day with one of the orphanages that they had opened, there was no food. There was no food for the orphans to be able to eat that next day. And that night went by and there was nothing. And he rose early that morning to pray and to seek God. And, and he was interrupted early in the morning from his prayer by a knock on the door. And there was no one there except a mountain of food that God had brought as a result of his prayer. And you say, I want that. I want that kind of a life. I want that kind of a relationship with God that where, he, where I'm praying, there's an intimacy where it seems that he hears me. I desire to know God. I desire to see God. I want that. I want that intimacy. I want that power. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and just going through the motions. If that's your desire, if that's your heart today, you've come to the right place. But if you're busy filling your life with all kinds of other things at this point and thinking that's going to get you there somewhere, it's going to come through, 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 through your, your job, through your career, through financial goals, through all the different relational goals and fun goals that we have set for ourselves and think that's going to get me somewhere, I just want you to know that in the pursuit of God, as we pursue him and as we've seen in the Beatitudes that all these things are added to us. That God not only gives us the desires of our heart in incredible ways and, and oftentimes we'll change those desires to bring them in alignment with him. That God blesses us beyond which we even deserve and I think we in Canada here in this region we live that day by day by day and if only we would see it. But so many of us, I believe, that, that we want to see God. We want to see God work. We want to experience him in power. We want more. We want a deeper life with him. How can that happen? But sadly, today, we can end up just turning to the wrong things, whether we fill our lives with other substitutes or we even fill our lives with other pursuits of the divine, taking shortcuts that end up leading to dead-end roads or into some very dangerous ground, even within the evangelical church. And one of the things I, I, I love and I feel that it is important to do is to always be just, just making you aware of some of the things in, in church culture today. And even today in evangelical churches, people are turning in churches, they're turning to leaders and to, to, to Christian authors and teachers that are promoting various methods and practices and ideologies and disciplines that that are, are borderline dangerous. Some of it has to do with listening or contemplative prayer, where one is instructed to clear, to empty your mind in order to hear and receive new revelation and new directions from God. 
Or people will search out or attend different spiritual events or retreats or church services where they're looking for an experience where th- that may include uncontrollable outbursts or, or physical displays and, and manifestations such as uncontrollable laughter or barking like dogs or being slain or drunk in the spirit, it might be called. And dangerously, many of these things that I've just mentioned are, are at best sub-biblical or blatantly unbiblical and some of them even occultish. And we must be so careful. We must, again, be wise, and we need to learn within community. We need to ask questions, and we need to research. Recently, I mentioned probably six months ago or something like that of a practice that is happening in some churches called grave-sucking or grave-soaking. And this is where people go to the grave of great men and women of God, and they lay on top of the grave with the purpose of pulling out or reclaiming the Holy Spirit's power that is trapped in, in the soul of that person who did great things for God and and desiring to get some of their power and strength within their lives. Loved ones, this is happening and this is something we need to be careful of. And, And one of the greatest ways that you can be strong and you can be aware of what is going on is by knowing the word of God and 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 by experiencing by by examining every spiritual experience and practice and teaching that you hear, bring it and examine it thoroughly with the word of God. The word of God provides the answers and the direction that we need. And when they're pulling verses here and there and they're taken out of context to create these new theologies or, 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 or disciplines, be very, very careful. And so we must be, be, be uh, discerning people. But here, as we get back to what we're talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus tells us, how you can see God, how you can experience God, how you can have an encounter with God, not just once, but every day. To have a life like George Mueller or other great men and women of faith. Maybe some of you have a family member, you, have, you know of people within the life of this church or you know of people in the life of churches that you've been a part of throughout the years that, that have this incredible relationship with God and you say, I'd love to see that, I'd love to know that, I'd love to experience that in my own life. And Jesus tells us who can experience God, who can, can, can see God, who can come to know God in this way. And in verse 8, he's just very clear. Very short sentence, but oh, does it ever have a load of meaning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a statement. And what we see today is that purity brings clarity. Prayer, purity in A person's heart brings clarity, brings a vision of God. And what we'll we'll see today are a bunch, like I've already told the kids in Harvest Kids, that there's a bunch of P words here, and this purity brings clarity, and today we're going to tackle it, I'm going to say these words, and then we're going to work through it. And and here are the P words, and and, uh, they'll all be up on the screen eventually. First of all, we have the promise, we have the prerequisite, we have the problem, and we have the provision. And first of all, we're going to start, and encourage you to write down, we start with the promise. Purity brings clarity, and how does it happen? Because of the promise. Jesus said, blessed are the pure." heart for they shall see God. What's the promise? To see God. And when you study this verse and you look at it in the original language and the construct of this verse, what Jesus is declaring here is so amazing. It's in the emphatic tense and he's saying, for they will, they shall see God. This does not mean that someday they will see God when they see him face to face when they die. He's not talking about one day this happening. It means today. That we can see God, we can experience God today. 
This literally states, for they will continuously see God in life and in eternity. What a statement, what a promise Jesus is making to see God. This has been the heart cry of God's people, and I trust it's even the heart cry of your life here today. This is the longing for, for us to be able to see God. And, and you see that all throughout the scriptures. You see that Moses and Ezekiel and Isaiah, they all got caught up in, in, in an experience that they were given from God. Where, however, it was a veiled experience or a partial glimpse of God's glory. This was something that David cried out to God for. It, it, as he even declared, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants, so my soul longs for you, God, in a dry and a weary land. God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I, I long for you. Even the disciples of Jesus, they're with Jesus. And at one point they said, can you just show us the Father? They were wanting to experience God. They were wanting to see God. He said that to Jesus in John 14. And this has been the heart cry and the longing of people all through the centuries. And here we have it in the sixth beatitude. We have this amazing statement, this amazing promise to see God, that it's possible. But how, how? How does this happen? Well, second of all, this takes us to the prerequisite. Someone asked me, they saw this word on the screen already this morning. They said, what does that mean? And so it, it means the requirement. The prerequisite is the, the requirement to be able to see God, but it really helps to keep all these P words for people who really love uh, to have that sort of order in uh, outline. And, he's, and, and, and what's the prerequisite? A pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And remember that word blessed means approved by God. Happy is the person. Approved by God is the person with a pure heart. The word pure means, and, and, and literally means um, in, in, in the Hebrew language and the Greek culture in, in this day, a clear, like clear, uncontaminated water. I remember when our family took our first trip to, to British Columbia, going from Regina, Saskatchewan, the, the heartland of the prairies, to, to Vancouver. And as we were driving along the, the Trans-Canada, we were in awe of the mountains, but then coming around certain points, there were these waterfalls and water just coming right close to the, wa uh, to the highway. And, and my dad, I mean six kids, and low budget and different things, were like, can we stop and get something to drink? Can we get some water? And he's like, sure. So we stopped along the side, held out our cups, and we were drinking that and oh, it was so cold and it was so refreshing and so good. And when we got to Vancouver, we told the people we were staying with, we were doing that, I said, oh, you guys could get very sick. That's not, that's not clean water. You could get beaver fever and we're like, beaver what? You know, and, and, and not a good thing. And, and, and purity means like uncontaminated, pure water, the purest of pure. It's, it, it, it refers to metals without any alloys, like pure metals or grain with no chaff. Pure can also means, means focus and sincerity and, and unmixed, undivided devotion. And so what does Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in, blessed are those with focus, those, blessed are those with purity of heart. He goes on and says, of heart. So what, what's he referring to here? Well, the heart, is, as you know, as we see through, through the word and just through life, it, it's more than the muscle that pumps blood through our bodies. When someone says to you, hey, can I just share my heart with you? They don't literally mean to, to you know, they're going to rip out their heart and give it to you and, you know, or give you a chunk of it. That's not what they're referring to. Of course not. We know what this means. I mean, the heart refers to the inner person, the, the mind, the will, the heart. It's the fountain out of which everything flows. 
And so it's not just referring to the heart muscle. It's talking about the inner person of who we really are, who are really on the inside. And so when someone says to you, let me share my heart, you're getting, I trust, something that is deep from within, something of who they are, and they're passionate about it. It's who they are. And so blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus is saying. And he's saying that those are the ones who can see God. The ones who can see God have a pure, unmixed, undivided devotion to God. That kind of a heart, that's the kind of person that's going to see God. I mean, this, this was nothing new. I mean, we see this all throughout the word, that, that a pure heart is important to be able to see God. David wrote in, in Psalm 24, and there's going to be a number of references here. You may want to write them down and look them up afterwards. And David understands in Psalm 24, he says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his glorious presence? And he goes on to say, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. David knew this, that in order to see God, to have an experience of God in his presence and his power, there must be a clean heart, clean heart from within. James 4.8 says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. 1 Corinthians 7.35, Paul talks about having an undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, talking about purity of, of mind, of focus on God. And we're also told in, in Proverbs chapter 4.23 to guard our heart with, vigilant, with, with great vigilance because out of our heart flows the springs of life. Who we are flows from the heart. You see, God is interested not in your actions, not in your abilities. What he cares about is our heart. We may be able to impress others or even impress ourselves at times with our external actions and our words and our abilities, words of wisdom or whatever it might be, but God's not impressed with that. God's impressed. God desires a pure heart. It starts with the heart. I like what one harvest pastor said, Adam Bailey, love these words when he describes the heart. And, and here's a little description of the heart. The heart is the root of wretchedness. Jeremiah 17, 9. This is where anger and murder and lust and theft and gossip and jealousy and covetousness it all flows not from the environment, it flows from the heart. You see, we oftentimes think, though, our, our problems are the environment that we're living in. Well, then, that doesn't really make sense when it comes to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned and fell into sin while living in a perfect environment. And so environment, it plays a part in it, but it doesn't dictate that the root of wretchedness exists within our own heart. It starts in the heart. This is why the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, is calling out in, in declaration and just being honest before his, his hearers, and he's honest before us today as he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Because he knew the wretchedness that was still exist in his heart. He knew the wretchedness that was there. I even think of this morning, just as I was praying with a group of men before the sermon, before the service. So appreciate people praying and, and, and upholding me and the work here in prayer on a Sunday morning and appreciated praying with them, but all of a sudden it hit me. The number of sins that I had committed in my own life, in my own heart, 
between my time in the word this morning and spending time with God and asking him to cleanse me and repenting and confessing of any area of sin, and all of a sudden it just started kind of piling up. You say, Melden, you must be an evil person. <laughs> I am. You know, it even started with a terribly slow driver on the way to church. I mean, I'm important. And this Cadillac with a dog on the passenger side sticking his head out the window and this person going so slow. Like, I've got places to be. I've got work to do. Pride. You know, and, and then at times, finding myself frustrated or little things here and there. I won't, I, I won't share with you the wretched my, with wretchedness in my heart. I shared it with the Lord. I confessed it before him. And it just, it just seems that, 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 that there's this, the heart is the root, root of wretchedness. It's also the fountain of filth. Matthew 5, or Matthew 15, verse 19. It says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It is also the hub of hypocrisy. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, it says, woe to you, scribes. This is Jesus, and Jesus was constantly dealing with the Pharisees. And you know what? There is a hint, or there is a lot, of Pharisee within my heart. And it seems you start doing religion, you start doing church, you start doing a relationship with God, and as you continue on, that pharisaical kind of nature kind of creeps up. Criticism, gossip, little things here and there, and we can easily start judging and looking at the actions of others and then looking at ourselves and see how good we... Or, do you ever do that, or is it just me? Instead of worshiping the Lord, we... Maybe sit there and think how that song could have been sung better or different. Or instead of looking for someone to show kindness and mercy to, we sit in, in judgment. Oh, man. Like, I mean, this is the heart, the root of wretchedness, the fountain of filth, the hub of hypocrisy. Um, even though we say the right things in Jesus, as he said to the Pharisees, Oh, to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs. You've got it so good on the outside, but on the inside, you're like death and stench, and you just reek. Jesus was constantly calling that out, and, and he constantly calls it out in our lives as well. And, and also something about the heart that's really important, it's also the point of punishment. Romans 2, 5. You see, we are going to be punished. We are going to be judged by God based on our heart, not our actions. It's our heart response to God. Romans 2, 5, it says, but because of your heart and impentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The heart matters. And what does God demand? What does he ask for? A pure heart. And what Jesus is saying that in order to see God, there has to be a cleansing. There has to be a substantial change in the core of your being. You need a heart transplant. You need a new heart. And that's what came. That's what was promised. It was, it was promised in the Old Testament and it, was prom and, and it was fulfilled by Jesus. And you see, this leads us to, to the next P and, and that's our problem. Our problem is our sin. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And really, again, what this is saying is for they alone will see God. It's only people who have a pure heart will see God. But 
And God only welcomes certain people into his kingdom. He's not welcoming any and all people into his kingdom. He's welcoming those who have a pure heart. You think, what hope do I have? I've got this big time problem. The problem is that my heart isn't pure. And neither is yours. And the problem is our sinful heart. Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Our prayers, our cries are hindered by a dirty heart, by a wicked heart. And for us to think that we can try to clean ourselves up and put on some rubber gloves and get some cleaner and, 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 and lots of hot water and we're cold water, depending what, it, what the stain is we're trying to deal with and think that somehow we can deal with this, we can't. It's impossible. We can't clean up our own heart. Have you ever tried to fix something and you only made it worse? Any of you have ever done that? I'm sure most of us can probably relate to that in one way or another. I think of another, of, of an instant in, 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 in my life. It was like one of those major dad fail moments. Clarice and I were driving home from school, work one day, and, and um, windows down, beautiful Okanagan afternoon, and heading, heading towards home, and all of a sudden as we were driving, she was like, ah! Got something in my eye, and, and, and something flew in or popped into her eye somehow, and, and I thought she was being a little dramatic. But anyways, we like, okay, we'll get home, splash some water on it, you know, and, and, and she wouldn't let it go. She went to the bathroom. She came back to add my eye. I don't know what's in it. And so, you know, I tried looking. I even got Charlotte's reading glasses. Now I have some, but I, I got hers at that time, and, you know, kind of took a look, and, you know, and like, I don't see anything. And and she said, yeah, but dad, it's just so bad. And, and she's, again, just making a big deal out of it. So I thought, well, I'm going to go get some of Charlotte's um, contact lens um, solution. And because uh, that's like saline solution water. It'll kind of clean up things, whatever it was. And I just, I just thought it was water. And I said, hey, I'll go get some of that. So I got some of that, sprayed it in her eyes. And next, she's like, dad, it's worse. And I'm like, drama queen for crying out loud. You know, like, we got to, you know. I didn't realize it was the cleaner, and it actually had stuff, I don't know what it was, but it was like burning in her eye, and, and so when I like read it with, again, Charlotte's glasses, oh, and, and so we did a major water flush at that time, and thankfully, um, she, um, you know, only needed a bit of counseling and, and a bit of time at the eye. No, she, she was fine. She, I, I believe she has forgiven me, although she hasn't let me quite forget it um, at times when, when you talk about these things. You see, my intentions were good, but they weren't effective. You see, folks, and, and the same happens if we think we can somehow, some way, try to clean up or clear up our heart in some way. To rid ourselves of the sin in our lives, if we just think if I try harder and do better, and if going to church won't make you more pure and acceptable in the eyes of God. Giving vast amounts of money, serving in a different area of, of, of ministry and think that somehow God's got to see this and he's going to look upon me with great favor. It's not just try harder and be more disciplined. If you do that, if that's right, you will fail, it won't work and you will end up frustrated. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones has been going through this message series. I've been reading through and looking at his commentary on this and, and looking to this quote. Again, this will all be available on the website this afternoon and so you'll be able to get this quote. It's great. He says, you can start to clean up your heart, but at the end of your long life, it will be as black as it was at the beginning, perhaps blacker. No, it is God alone who can do it. 
And thank God, he has promised to do it. The only way in which we can have a clean heart is for the Holy Spirit to enter into us and cleanse it for us. Only his indwelling and working within can purify the heart. And he does it by working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Hear Jesus giving this amazing promise, this invitation to see God. But then he's asking for the impossible, which is perfection. It's kind of like offering candy or ice cream to a young child. Have you ever done that? I have. And, and, and you offer it to him and then you pull it back. Like, that's so cruel, isn't it? You know, and it's probably happened to me when I was younger. So, you know, there's just something inside me that wants payback or something. I, I don't know. Um, or, you know, or it would be like someone who just finished running a marathon and, and they are weary, they're tired, and, and you offer them a bottle of water and then you're just like, ah, I think I'll drink it myself, you know? And I mean, that would just be mean. Or, I mean, just even recently at a church group time event um, here at Harvest, someone um, asked for deviled eggs or angelic eggs to, to be made. And, and um, because this guy's wife, his wife refuses to make uh, these deviled eggs for him. And, and so at this recent event, um, Elaine uh, made some of these beautiful eggs with, you know what's in the center of them? A piece of bacon. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, it, it was just incredible. Now, it would have been so cruel to have, for her to have made these and then to pull them away from that guy who, whose wife won't make them for him. And, and, and it would have just been absolute cruelty to do something like that. <laughs> what we're talking about, whether it be ice cream or eggs or uh, water or whatever it might be, folks, hear God through his word is hanging out this promise. And it may seem like he is now taking it away and saying, good luck because you have a wretched, hypocritical, evil heart. You can't make it. But Jesus, Jesus gives us this promise. Yes, he asked for perfection. But what he's doing in this is he is driving the heart of the person who thinks they can make it on their own. That Pharise Pharisee spirit that exists within us or, or just that understanding that somehow if I do enough, try harder, work harder, God will accept me. Now this statement that he's making here, be perfect therefore, uh, or at the end of the, I need to jump down here, I just uh, forgot one, one important passage. If you just think this is a one-off that Jesus is saying when he says, you know, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. At the end of this section in chapter five, verse 48, you can just look down there at the passage. Jesus ends up saying, being perfect. Therefore is your heavenly father is perfect. <laughs> he's telling his followers they've got to be perfect just as God is perfect. But what he's doing, he's driving us to despair to realize we can't do it. I can't get clean on my own. None of us can do this. None of us can perfectly live and model the five previous beatitudes that were ahead of us, let alone this one. None of us can perfectly exhibit a poverty of spirit because we're going to always continue to keep thinking that we're something awesome or, or that God is lucky to have us. 
and, and, and that nature is going to keep rising up in our lives, hopefully less and less, but it will keep rising up. Or none of us can perfectly mourn over our sins because our mind can't even properly comprehend the depth of our sin. The crevasses of, of, of sin in, in, in our spirit, in, in our soul, we, we don't even understand it all. And so none of us can perfectly mourn over our sin. None of us can be perfectly humble and gentle. If you think you are perfectly humble and gentle, stand up. And then sit down quickly because you would have just ended up disqualifying yourself. None of us are perfectly hungry and thirsty for righteousness because we get hungry and we thirst after other things. None of us are perfectly pure in heart. And so Jesus is just reminding us, you can't have this. You can't do this on your own. And so what do we do? We throw ourselves at the grace and the mercy of Jesus and receive his radical renewal. His Holy Spirit comes in and cleanses through the precious blood. And you see, this takes us to the last P, the provision. And who is the provision? What is the provision? It's Jesus. God demands the impossible, but then he provides the solution. A clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that God accepts is available in and only through Jesus Christ who came as God in the flesh, obeyed the law perfectly, paid the punishment we deserve, and he went to the cross that we were meant for. And he died the death that we should have died and took and he paid the penalty for our sin. The king paid for our purity. And on that third day, he rose from the dead, perfectly overcoming sin and death once for all. And when we come to this point and we are ready to give up and surrender our lives to him, we stop trying to do it in a way and trying to live our lives in a way to try to impress God, but we confess our sin, we repent, we turn from our old ways and we place our trust and our confidence in him and him alone. His righteousness, his purity is applied to our lives. And in that moment, we are justified, positionally pure before God. Positionally pure. And then daily from that day on, as we grow in the word, we work this out practically as we wrestle with sin as we fight off that old nature, as we understand our heart is being renewed, we are being transformed, and we're going to learn through hardships and trials and disciplines and difficulties and failures. Job, four, uh, in Job 42, verse 5, he makes this statement. And if you know the story of Job, was the greatest, the wealthiest man in all the earth, and then he lost it all. Lost it all, lost it all, lost it all. And at the end... In chapter 42, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And even through the trials, and even through the loss, he saw God. He had always had heard of God, and now he actually has seen God in the way that God has worked in his life. You see, this is the sanctifying the process in our lives that when we initially surrender to God, but then as we daily surrender ourselves to him, as we daily tend to our hearts, because the impurity is within us and it's all tempting around us, and as we wrestle with this temptation and sin and pursue holiness, there's a cleansing that takes place in our lives daily and we get a glimpse of God and that takes us back to the promise, it takes us back to the first part, it says, for they alone will see God. 
When we have the applied blood of Christ, the blood of Christ applied to our heart, to our lives, here's now the promise to be able to see God. And the more focused and the more single-minded our hearts are, the more we're going to see God. As David had said, that when he lived in iniquity, when he lived in areas of sin, God was distant. Have you ever experienced that? I have. There's a great chasm that, that builds into my life. Remember, positionally, God sees me, but practically, there's this sin. God, God sees me as pure, as righteous, as holy, but practically living it out, there's a problem, and, and that hinders my relationship with him. But the more focused, the more single-minded our hearts are, the more we see God. The pure in heart we are, the greater and greater the mysterious ways of God's grace comes into our lives. And here are some of the ways that we can see God. Here are ways that you can see God today. First and foremost, primarily through the word of God. The scriptures are the primary way that we will see God and we will hear from God and we will experience God. And as our hearts become pure, our faith grows stronger, the word becomes more and more alive and dwells in us. A person can take and read the word, can know the word, and get nothing out of it. But when there is a purity of heart, when a heart has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, it comes alive. And the word of God comes alive. And you can't get enough of it. You can't put it down. You see the pages flying by, page by page. Jeremiah 15, love what, what he says in, in verse 16. He says, your words, when I found them, I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord. He gets the word and he just like consumes it. He like not literally eats them, but he's like, oh, I can't get enough of this because your words, they're, they're life to me. Have you ever had those seasons in your life where the word of God, you just can't put it down, you're reading, reading, reading? And it comes alive and it's making so much sense. That's because there's a purity that's there in your heart and a longing for holiness and purity. But as we get distracted and we get other things in our lives, the word of God just becomes routine and nothing special. And positionally, we receive that pure heart practically as we daily surrender our heart to him. The word of God comes alive in a greater and a greater way as we desire then to live out his word. You see, part of the problem is that there's a fogginess that comes into our relationship with God. Uh, things kind of get grow a little um, fady or, or, or foggy or, or starts fading in our lives because it's, our lives can be like this. I love God, but I really love this area of sin. I love God, but I love this certain pursuit. Yeah, I know it's not the best, and you know, it's taking me away from God, but you know, I really love it, and it's going to pay off. And, and then I'll get serious about God. No, that's not an undivided heart. That's a divided heart. I love God, but I want my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. And yeah, I know what his word says, but you know, I, you know. Hmm. And as we live like that, the fog just gets thicker and thicker. A greater haze envelops our lives. Back to George Mueller. Love to quote another quote from him. Here's a guy who struggled. Here's a guy like you and I in the struggle. And he says, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on, read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, so he's paying attention to his heart, I directly made progress. 
Then my peace and joy continued more and more. And according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make him the most important business of your life. That's when the word of God comes alive. That's when we get a vision for God. That's when we experience his power and his greatness in our lives. That's how 50,000 answers to prayer over a lifetime get answered. Another way that we can experience God is in creation. Psalm 29, write that down. David, David saw a thunderstorm and, and, and his heart and his worship of God, his, his vision of God just increased as we see the footprints, we see the handprints of God throughout nature also through worship, as we worship as God's children, as we worship together in spirit and in truth and we're pursuing, we're exalting, making much of the name of Jesus and we let go of the, the surroundings and, and the song choices or whatever it might end up being and we're just, and just enveloped with the worship of God. As I've told you before, some of the sweetest worship I've ever had was with my aging grandparents in their 90s or even early into uh, living out into their early hundreds. We would get together in their home and, and we would spend time together um, visiting. She would always feed us with something or another and then we would bring out the, the, these little prayer verses and, and read the, the, or these little Bible verses and then read them and my grandma or grandfather would give a commentary on each one. It was awesome and then we'd spend time to prayer. We'd spend time in prayer and then we would sing and it sounded awful musically I'm sure because my grandparents couldn't sing. Neither could I. Uh, finally when I brought Charlotte into the scene. It helped quite a bit, um, but it was beautiful. Why? Because they were hearts, lives pursuing in love with Jesus so much, and when we are pursuing Jesus together in worship, when we're concentrating on lifting high his name, not our reputation or what we sound like or paranoid in that little way, that, that God shows up as we worship him. And we can have profound experiences with God through worship. It's also in life. Past and present, we see him working in our lives in various ways, in the lives of people all around us. One of the greatest joys is seeing God at work in the lives of people over the long haul. That's why commitment to ministry is hard. You don't know how many times over 20-some years just wanted to pack it in. That's why commitment to a ministry within the life of the church, it's hard. That's why commitment to church itself can be hard when we can pursue other options or just think I can have church at home and have Pastor Pillow as my pastor. No, but the joys of ministry, of seeing people grow in their faith and, and watch what God can do over the long haul to see transformations of lives, of marriages, of families, is, is, is just, I, I mean, you can't touch that. You're seeing God at work 
over the long haul. And sometimes there's, there's big, you know, movement, you know, of growth in a life. And then there's discouragement and things happen. But then you see them continue on. And, and, and I, we get to be a part of that. We have four years in almost and, we, and, and, and trusting God for another 40. Yeah, I, will, I plan on living that long. It's in the genes. In life, we see God's faithfulness. And those stories of God's faithfulness are being written today in the hearts and the lives of you sitting here today and the people whose lives you are blessing in your pursuit of God. Your perfect pursuit? No. None of us are there. But continually following, falling on his grace. Another way we experience him is in answered prayer. We see God answer prayer in some incredible ways. We've even been watching some of that take place here at the theater as we've been blessed to be able to use this place, but sometimes there's been some friction that's gone on between the theater management and, and, and with us in different ways. And, and um, as we've desired to take a road of humility the best that we can, but praying and praying and watching God to work, God's working. And it's so neat to see God working in, in the lives of, of, of um, some of the staff here. And we're thankful for that. Another great answer to prayer, Darren and Sabine. Um, some of you will know Darren and Sabine Rossler uh, here in our church. They have a relative in Germany, David. He went on to some of our prayer lines a few weeks ago. This little guy, there's a picture of him, 10 years old, was backed over by a car and dragged for over 40 meters. The person thought that he, he had hit a cat. Instead, it was a young boy. And those early calls that came and said there was no chance for his recovery. His brain scans um, showed there was major brain damage. People were praying all over the world. His legs were shattered. There was just all kinds of injuries and different things taking place. But God's people around the world were praying. And this little guy is a bewildering miracle to the medical community. They did some tests recently. No brain damage. He's going to make a recovery like that is just completely unexpected in human terms. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. God answers prayer. We see God in answered prayer in these kind of ways. And we give God the glory for that. We see God working as God's people pray. And one day we will experience God. We will see him in the ultimate unveiled glory face to face. Put up the last uh, little reminder there that we will see him face to face. In unveiled glory, when our time here on this earth is over, and only the pure in heart, those who know God, those who have come to God in this way as broken, empty people and say, God, I cannot do this, and God, would you forgive me? Would, and we apply the blood of Christ to our lives, will we ever have a pure heart? And a pure heart is possible. Initially, positionally before God and practically as we walk around in a dirty world and deal with our restless and wretched hearts. And so today I want to ask you the most important question as the band comes up at this time. How's your heart? You go to the doctor as soon as you start getting a little older and even at a young age, even for little newborn Micah, they, they're always checking his heart. If God was to do a check of your heart, if you were to check your heart today, how's your heart? How's your heart before God? This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternity. And it's also a matter of the quality of life that you will experience here and then the quality of your eternity in heaven. How's your heart today? If you don't know Christ today, receive him today. Receive his purity for the first time in your life. Turn from whatever you've been trusting in and surrender your life to Jesus today. 
And perhaps you're here and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you've done that years ago, but is there singleness of heart, an undivided heart for God, or are there mixed motives? Are there hidden sins? Are you needing his cleansing today? Folks, this isn't a guilt thing. I don't want to lay guilt on you. I want to lay God's grace upon you, that he is here to meet you and extend his grace and his mercy and his purity in your life. That comes by simply calling out to God, say, forgive me, God, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, it's not worth it. It's not worth it in the end. Oh, short term, it may be paying off big dividends for you. In the end, it's going to leave a trail of destruction. Surrender it to God. Surrender the control to him and receive his cleansing today.